Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's Monday morning, September 30th. We've got some September superlatives for you coming up later in the show. Uh, plus, uh, Mike Leach, his uh, his post-game review of his team following a loss to Utah. Uh, some injury news at Notre Dame. And uh, then some head coaching news, at least in terms of the future of the program at Baylor. Uh, but Barton Simmons, we begin with the breaking news on Sunday Chris Ash is out at Rutgers. Um, there's there's like a thousand ways that we want to unpack this right now. Um, and well, actually not a thousand. It's really more like three. But first, the I guess the, the instant reaction for you when you saw it, of course, it comes on the heels of a blowout, shutout loss to Michigan in the big house, a result that wasn't all that uh, surprising, at least based on some of our comments going into the weekend on the Locks podcast. But as uh, as Rutgers has decided to move on, any anything surprise you either from the the timing of the decision or uh, or anything else like that? No, I guess not. Uh, I actually was. I mean, because Rutgers has been just so. I mean, they've just been bad, and no real reason to care about them from a national standpoint. No real reason to believe they're a threat to anybody. I actually kind of listened to. I, I found a Rutgers podcast to listen to on the way into the office today just to see if I was missing anything. And this is a podcast that was recorded a week ago. Shout out Rutgers Rant. All right. Um, you know? Just, Dude, hey. yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. Hey, listen, Cover 3 listeners, this is what you get. This is deep <laughs> research to prepare for the show. <laughs> I just wanted to hear – because in their last – recording was a week ago like a uh, the 23rd so yeah a week ago today and it was sort of and they were saying basically dead man walking like i guess bc was some big litmus test for the Rutgers fan base like I mean, this and there was uh, it, it appears that there was a necessity for for change barring anything other than like six like seven wins basically which was going to be shocking to every like if i guess progress would have been like five and seven to, in, in our eyes from a national standpoint but even a five and seven type progress was or even, i mean shoot four, four and eight, and eight. progress but but five and seven like i guess from from the outsider standpoint could have been something that you could frame and say all right they're heading in the right direction but i think closer to the Rutgers program that wasn't necessarily the case, and I think that's, I think that's probably fair to 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 have that perspective. I mean, that's been there's been zero indications that Chris Ash is the right guy for that job from jump. They're not playing well on the field. They're not recruiting well off the field. He's not some dynamic personality that's going to rally the the fan base. There, there's just not a lot to to hang on to in that, and so. I guess the the Michigan game was just sort of an opportunity to say tally ho. The if if I'd put um a whole if I put like five Chris Ash looking coaches and Chris Ash in a lineup, do you think that your average college football fan would be able to pick out which one is Chris Ash? No. Yeah. Absolutely not. No. I, like and that was the thing is because he got hired around the same time that Maryland hired DJ Durkin, right? And it was a uh, you know let's let's go get let's go get uh, Ohio State's defensive coordinator, let's go get Michigan's defensive coordinator, and it almost felt like they were the Big Ten East, the new arrivals to the Big Ten who were in the Big Ten East were just gonna you know try to almost in a way that at the time seemed to me like Alabama with the S other SEC programs just being like well let's just. Let's go. Let's go pluck something off the Nick Saban tree, and let's just plant it in our yard and see if it grows. And that, you know, that was an approach that at the time you shrugged your shoulders in a in a manner that probably was, uh, you know, not not all that concerned about feeling like Rutgers needed 
to to make some groundbreaking hire if they just wanted to to plant a seed from the uh, the Ohio State program and see if it grew that was fine to me at the time but like you mentioned with no not much of an impact in terms of uh dynamic personality and making yourself known in the college football world and I I I guess that I'm glad you mentioned the recruiting part because the state of New Jersey does have talent. I mean, it is not a overwhelming amount of talent, even compared to just the East Coast, ignoring some of the other uh, most talent populous places in the country. But there's got to be a way to win uh, in the Northeast on the recruiting trail if you're going to be able to make Rutgers uh, something that is going to be just competitive. Because isn't that what our bar for Rutgers is? It, oh yeah, it is. It is a competitiveness issue that is really, really tough because you know the last time that we've had Rutgers in a place where we felt like it was a really competitive program, it was in a different conference, playing against different teams in different conferences that are not uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State. So it is. It's a tough thing to sell because it hasn't happened yet. Do you think that competitiveness? Competitiveness should be the goal. Do you think that goal is achievable at Rutgers? Um, yeah, sure. I think it's – and, and per- particularly because, I mean, it's a similar – I think it's a very similar job to Maryland's. If if Maryland – and Mike Loxley's got a chance to do this, but if Maryland can put a fence around the DMV, and you're not going to get everybody, but if you get a really healthy chunk – of the best players in the DMV, you got a chance. And if if Ruck, I mean, there's good football players in Jersey. There's there's a pretty deep talent bed in Jersey. And so if if Rutgers can just recruit Jersey really well, and if Rutgers can coach those guys up, and and you know what, like Jersey guys are kind of gritty, blue collar. Guys, like if you can find a tough physical team that has that you're getting a uh, that you're you're winning the state of New Jersey. I think that's really I think I think Rutgers can win the state of New Jersey. Now you you know the number one player in the country if he's from Jersey probably isn't going to go to Rutgers. Maybe you get him, that'd be great. But you know probably goes to Michigan like he did when Rashawn Gary went to Michigan, or or maybe wasn't Minka uh, Fitzpatrick from Jersey? Minka Fitzpatrick was out of Jersey. You know maybe you lose one to Alabama here and there. But if you get you know. 12 of the top 20 players in the state of New Jersey at Rutgers. Man, that's a great start for a really talented football team. So, I think that there's I think that there's real um upside and and like you said, Chip, I mean I, I like the way you put that, just sort of pluck pluck a, a somebody off the the Urban Meyer tree and um it reminds me of, you know, when Bowling Green hired Mike Jinks uh from Texas Tech. Apparently the AD or the president just looked up online like what was the highest scoring offense in college football. <laughs> just hired the and coordinator and saw Texas Tech. No, this guy wasn't even the coordinator, and just said, "Let's who can we hire off that staff?" And got Mike Jinks, and that, see how that worked out. This felt like that. Just all right. Let's get who's Urban Meyer's guy. Get Urban Meyer's guy. Oh, Chris Ash. Okay, good. Got it. Because he he didn't come in with. Like there's never been a splash on the recruiting trail from him. There's never been a a product on the field that's you know delivers a lot of confidence. And so, um, so just make a good hire. I think if you make a good hire that can recruit, I think you got a chance. So now now we start to advance this to the next part, and let's start with the job itself. Where does that who? Who wants that job? What kind of coach wants that job? And what kind of job do you think the Rutgers job is? It's a great question, man. It's the toughest. I mean, it's, all, it's the toughest part of all this. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's less about who can you get. It's more about who wants this job. It's more about how appealing is this? Like, is a is a coordinator or, or a rising Group of Five coach? have any interest in exploring this job. Um, I would suspect that a lot of coaches, especially to, uh, you know, nowadays where, you know, uh, you know, you don't want to miss 
Like if you miss on a job, if you go take the wrong job, if you go somewhere where you can't win, then that can that can. I mean, that can send you down the ladder pretty dramatically. And as well as coordinators are getting paid right now, as well as, I mean, as 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 good as quality of life can be as a group of five head coach. I mean, I just don't know that there there's going to be a bunch of people clawing all over themselves to take a job. And this is among the up and comers, not necessarily the. There's another. There's another sort of subset here that would absolutely take this job, but among the up and comers, there. There's. I think there's going to be some real vetting of the job, as much as there is of the candidates. But, and we'll talk about some of these guys specifically. But I mean, if you're Craig Schiano, Butch Jones, uh, Jim Levitt, you know these guys are not up and comers. These are guys looking to get back in. Right. Th- those types, this is this is a no-brainer job for them. What about um so so do you, do you want to go ahead and start spinning this for because that's like you you make the wrong hire if you're Rutgers and the I I think about the clock because the the Rutgers success I'm going to tie it to uh, and uh, Michael Felder, a friend. You can follow him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. He was sort of going through this on Sunday. And the examples that he used was Shiano at Rutgers and Randy Edsel at UConn. And I think he was obviously identifying not the UConn program as it is, but the UConn program when it made it to the Fiesta Bowl as a, as a Big East champion, you know, playing in a BCS Bowl game back in, I think, 2010. So Shiano at Rutgers, Edsel at UConn, um, the – the time it took to get those programs up to the place where they were competing for championships in the big East and competitive against pretty much everyone on their schedule. Like that was a long process, like several, several years building up the recruiting cycles, establishing those relationships with the high schools. And when you've, when you make these new hires, you're just kind of setting yourself back to the point where like whoever Rutgers hires, needs to know that it's it's gonna be probably five years before they can really see um, results that are going to indicate some kind of success. And so like sh- bring Shiano back, Butch Jones, like do you think that Butch Jones or Shiano or Jim Levitt or that that crowd right there are gonna be in it for the long haul? or is that a is that just a way to get back in the game? If I, I I don't know about the Rutgers leadership standpoint in terms of what they want, but if I'm if I'm listening to Rutgers rant and trying to think about who I want as a next head coach, I would be fearful that uh, that there might be someone who's just trying to get back into the game and not necessarily in it for the long haul. No, I I think that those type of guys have sort of learned their lesson. They've they've flown too close to the sun. They've crashed and burned. Now they just want to get in a spot where they can be a head coach again, where they can run a show, prove they can do it. I I don't I think that um, I mean uh, I feel like this has happened before recently. Where uh, I don't know. I, I, Greg Schiano to me, what do you think? He's, like, is he taking Rucker so that he can then get the Michigan job someday? Like I think he's taking. If Greg Schiano jumps back in the mix, I think he's taking Rutgers because he's saying, you know what? If Mac Brown can do it, I can too. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. you know, Rutgers worked for me. Yeah, let's not overthink this, man. Rutgers worked. Why? Why do I want to mess around and and keep chasing jobs when the thing that worked, the fit, the place that I found a, a sweet spot, was is right in front of me, and and I can build this thing, and I've got some time, and let's just call, let's just. Right off into the sunset at Rutgers. Hey, and if you have the kind of career where you ride off into the sunset at Rutgers, then that you've accomplished a lot. And I mean, and those guys are older. I mean, but Butch Jones, like, is he trying to get another crack at the SEC? I just, I think that I think that he would. Those guys would be very satisfied with just a just a a, a job, a, a a power five head coaching job. And this is the one that's available. 
So what would what would the other bucket be? Because I, I definitely understand the mindset of that one. I was I was going to say with the Rutgers job, something that we've seen happen several times throughout college football, and uh, I guess the a good way to point to this would maybe be the like recently we saw it with the Kevin Sumlin example, or and I get, and Kevin Sumlin isn't the perfect um, the perfect one to point out because the timing didn't quite work, but one of those situations where. Um, you know, you kind of, uh, a power five tenure has clearly run its course. Uh, a mutual parting of ways seems likely how it goes down. You're not really sure. Maybe the school wants to move on. And if you're the head coach, there might be, uh, another opportunity for you out there. You might know it at the time. You might not know it at the time. Like that's where I was, I was starting to run in my head through some of the current power five head coaches, or and be like, all right. So, you you would not consider your, this particular move a lateral move, and maybe you don't make it yourself. But if there is, uh, we come November, the Rutgers job is still open, and if you're Steve Adazio and things aren't looking great with the with Boston College, if if Boston College decides that it wants to move on, I thought Steve Adazio would be a great hire. Sure. Yeah. I think. I mean. Yeah. That'd be. I think that'd be a good one. I agree with that. Or how about this one? Similar similar to Steve Adazio. Um, how about Joe Moorhead? Right. Yeah, like just, he's, just yeah, go, yeah, back. Maybe, go maybe back. He just realized he bit off a little more than he chew. Yeah. All right. SEC West is a little more than he bargained for. And not only that, but he was taking over a program that, you know, the expectations were already high. Now you can go back up. You know, you were you, you coasted Fordham up the road you know that area you're a little more of a cultural fit uh restart the clock and uh you know and 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 maybe maybe that maybe that works i mean i don't that that is that is certainly a bucket is just sort of a semi-lateral maybe it's just like at the time when brett bielema left wisconsin and went to arkansas it seemed like kind of like, okay, you're getting more money, but it's a lot harder to win. Things are kind of set for you at Arkansas. Semi-lateral was kind of how I described that at the time. We know now that there was a lot more going on behind the scenes in terms of his relationship with the administration, but it just on face value, looking at the transactional details of, okay, leaving this school, going to this one, that was that was sort of the, the second bucket that I was trying to explore in my head was uh, coaches who based on fit, based on the way things have been going and based on their ties to the Northeast might be looking at this as an opportunity to, uh, to just go and get a fresh start. Yeah. Um, are there anyone else in that bucket that you can think of other than, uh, uh, your boy Dazio and, and Joe Moorhead. I've got uh, I've got some groups. I've got some groups of fives that are going to be really excited to uh, to get get a crack. Get well, a but crack that's a it. different group, though, that's right? A different, so the subset, yeah. Then there's the subset of you know rising, I guess, hot name, so to speak. But that, like, so I would say, rising star, so to speak, would be like Jason Candle at Toledo, right? Um. You know, there's a guy, Joe Harris-Simiak, who's at Minnesota now, who's like 33 years old, who was the previous three years was the coach at Maine and took them from, you know, at 30 years old, took them from three and eight to 10 and four in, in a few years. You know, that that would be kind of an up and comer who's got head coaching experience that. Uh, and then I think that there's there's also the group of five more seasoned guys which i think is would be would be more in line with where ruckers would or should go i don't know about would but where i think they probably should go and that group would be to me like jeff monken chris creighton at mm-hmm. eastern michigan yeah 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 willie fritz and lance leopold at buffalo lance leopold at buffalo would be uh that that one seems to make sense same with chris creighton but I didn't hear you say Skip Holtz. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just make the, yeah, make the case for that one. <laughs> no, pass. Um, the and then all right. So with that one, as that head coach, you better come in with the plan. You better come in with your binders. Like you better you better come in and and hit the ground running because you are 
you're going to be taking the experience of of being you know like in in the case of Chris Creighton or Lance Leopold there's definitely been some building and some ups and downs you've had to overcome some adversity Jason Candle kind of took over a pretty healthy program that would be a new uh, that would be a new challenge for him is there any one of those is someone in that group that that really interests you I think Leopold Mock and Creighton Fritz if that is like whether Rutgers wants to go that route that is the best cluster that they should pick out of over Chiano, Butch Jones, Jim Levitt, I would I would be fishing out of that pond. Leopold, Leopold Monk, and Creighton Fritz. Fritz. The law uh, firm. Because those are guys, those are all sort of region agnostic, you know, they coaching's coaching. They they'll show up and they'll give you a tough football team. They'll they've proven that they can build programs. I mean, Chris Creighton at, at, at Eastern Michigan, like that was the worst program in the world. Right. And and he got them winning. They Billy just, Fritz won everywhere. <laughs> Chris Creighton just beat Lovey. Yeah. Two weeks ago. Yeah, he's already got his Big Ten <laughs> yeah. win. And Lance Leopold is, I mean, I, I love that guy. I mean, that profile is someone that, that just is just knows how to win. He's won a million games in Division Three. Buffalo made an outside-the-box hire that paid off. They've been one of the best teams in the MAC one of the more consistent teams in the group of five. I mean, they're not, they're not like contending for uh, uh, New Year's Six bowl games, but they're, they're one of the, the most consistent teams in the group of five over the last few years. And that's another team. Like, who, like, how, who projects that for Buffalo? Like, how, that clearly, that guy has a fantastic plan and management style. I mean, I'd be stoked if someone like that was my coach at, uh, at Rutgers. So I, I think that group is, is is made for this type of gig. Okay, and all right, if you are the Rutgers administration, you have an opportunity with the Jeff Monken option to do what Tom Fernelli and many others have screamed about, which is when you are facing an uphill competitive battle based on resources, history, talent. I mean, just the list goes on and on and on when you compare the Rutgers football program to Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and uh, Michigan State, then you've you've got you've got an option to just you you've got an option. You've got an option to just go all in on on the system. I mean, would you is that a tough sell in your mind to the fan base to say I, we're we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna take the dive. I think it's a tough sell to me a little bit because I think that like Vanderbilt should be tempted by that. Um, who else? You know, I don't know. Oregon State maybe or like, Stan- like a pro- hey, let's go Stanford. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I think the the programs that should be tempted by that are the programs that are are not capable of attracting talent. And look, I'm not going to pretend like I've got a great sense of what the facilities and the resources are like at Rutgers, but again. The talent pool is there. You're the state school of New Jersey. And so I don't think you have to you have to view yourself as always being in a talent deficit. And so that's why I would be a little bit reluctant to go triple option here because I think there's a higher ceiling than that. If you go triple option, you're you are conceding to a Georgia Tech lifestyle. Right. And that's 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 fine if if you feel like that's your ceiling. I just don't think that that's your ceiling if, at Rutgers. Well, and the the coaching is coaching is coaching uh, mindset would be like, why would you want to limit yourself? I mean, Jeff Monken also could just bail on the the system altogether or implement it or do yeah. I mean, the way right. that we've seen Willie Fritz at Tulane, it's not exactly triple option, but it still has the option. Uh, that's fair. You know, pieces of it. So you yeah. you you could be welcoming in a Jeff Monken that is not going to be going saying like, all right, we are only doing this one thing. Uh, we will only be passing the ball five times per game. There's like, right. There, there's definitely other ways to do it. But in terms of selling the hire, hiring Jeff Monken does seem like you're asking your potential season ticket buyers that you're coming to the Georgia tech experience. No, I think that's a, that's a good point. That's a fair point. Uh, and, and in that sense, yeah, you got you got to sort of pitch it a little bit. And right. You got you to you frame the hire, but um, 
with that in mind, yeah, I mean, I think you could you could absolutely live with Jeff Mockin and be excited about that. Comes, uh, go ahead. Well, the there, there's the also there's the assistant coach pool, right? And that's that one's I think is pretty interesting too. Like, I would say on the surface, you know, one of the more more intriguing assistant coach potential hires would be maybe like Mike Elko, who's from Jersey originally, played at Penn, uh, has has a very um, you know has a coaching career peppered around the Midwest and the Atlantic Coast. But that's the type of guy who's getting paid two million dollars right now, and that's when we come back to lifestyle. What right. what kind of life do you want to live, Mike? Right. Um, but he'd be a, you know he'd probably be a good fit there from a personality standpoint, from a from what he brings to that program. But you know, you just hired a defensive coordinator from a powerhouse, and it didn't really work out. So I wonder if there's a little bit of a hesitation there so i think mike elko would be a good candidate i think you know jeff halfley is probably not you know doesn't have the skins on the wall yet but the co-dc at at ohio state who coached at rutgers before who has rave reviews that defense is playing great who came from the nfl he would be one and then i got three names that i think are would be interesting francis fran brown who's a co-DC at Temple, is a stud recruiter in that area, and they would kill it in recruiting with him, but probably doesn't have the resume yet. He came from, he just came over to Temple from Baylor uh, where he did a really good job there, and you know he would just be a kind of a maybe an interview guy. And then Anthony Campanelli, who's interim, was, who is, no, that's his brother, Oh. So Anthony Campanelli is the was just at BC as their DBs coach, and now he's at Michigan right now, and he's just put out baller DBs at BC, and uh, you know you know his brother like he has like three brothers, one of them is on the BC staff, one of them's a head coach in in Jersey High School, another one's head coach you know so anyways like that would be a great guy that could ignite the. You know the the area I would imagine, and then the other one in a similar vein is Chris Partridge, who's also at Michigan, who was the former head coach at Paramus Catholic, who is a great recruiter. So I think there's got to be an element of of recruiting, and those are the type of guys: Fran Brown, Campanelli, Chris Partridge, who would crush it in recruiting there. But you know, I think I think probably you know you got to balance that with finding a hire that you feel confident is going to have a good on-the-field product, and maybe you don't have quite enough confidence in those guys based on experience to, to make that hire. I'm not really great at under – I don't have a great feel uh, or as good a feel as some of the others that we work with in terms of um, you know the, the sort of seasonal shifts and the hiring cycle. Do you, or do you subscribe to the idea that if you were going to fire uh, – if you were going to fire Chris Ash on September 29th, you probably should have done it before the season. Uh, no, not not necessarily. I mean, there's, a, I don't know. I got. I guess I would have to dig into the sort of the reasons. But I just, I figured there's reasons why. And maybe you didn't have the guy last year that that you wanted. Maybe there's contractual reasons. I, I don't think that, like firing Chris Ash in week four or five, when he's clearly not the guy is you know if you want to give him that four full four years then that's i think I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna be okay with that i'm gonna let that ride i'm totally okay with it because i think that hiring cycles and the calendar is totally thrown out the window with the modern recruiting uh to signing day system yeah it's just 12 months a year doesn't matter like if 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 you think it's done then it then we just got to go we got to cut and we got we got to move on um, you know, you probably thought that you, the the work that Chris Ash had done warranted an opportunity to go show it on the field. And uh, third mention of the Rutgers rant, shout out to them. If that if what you saw in that Boston <laughs> College game was not what you wanted to see, well then, yeah, cut bait now so that 
whoever you hire is not just going to be totally screwed for the early signing day. Right. And it does feel a little bit like with the, with the move now that this, and it does feel like kind of a move for Shiano. Oh man. I mean, and Shiano there, if there's a football scoop report that Shiano actually backed out of his Patriots job specifically to make himself available for the inevitable opening of this job. <laughs> so it's real. Yeah. And, and I wonder if, I mean, and, and like when you look at that, there's three names that have been reported as having been reached out to Shiano, Butch Jones, Jim Levitt, three guys that do not have coaching jobs. Right. I mean, Joe, Butch Jones is a intern at Alabama. Levitt's like a analyst at Florida state. But those guys are all guys that can can interview now. They could take the job now, basically. And so um, I wonder if – I mean, Lana Levitt would have probably wanted to be working somewhere. But, you know, Butch Jones, maybe, maybe that's part of what motivated him to, to, you know, be satisfied with sticking around at Alabama for another year just to make sure he has first crack at any of these jobs that come open. Mm. Interesting stuff. Coming up on the other side, what Mike Leach thought about his team following uh, the loss to Utah and some headlines from around the country and our September superlatives. Next. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. Two majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. So one of the uh, unique highlights or one of the unique features of our Instant Reactions podcast, we have enjoyed sort of our our running commentary on Pac-12 After Dark. And, you know, I guess if the game warrants it, we will also uh, use this Monday morning show to to return to the game for, for any kind of reactions on the result. So before we get into Leach's comments, or do you want to hear the comments first and then we can talk about uh, what happened in the game? Uh, let's hear them. All right. So Don't keep th- us waiting. Okay. So this is following uh, the loss to Utah. And the question that got this started had to do with um, you know, what did you think about the swinging momentum in the game? Because before halftime, I think Washington State even might have led and certainly had control, and then things turned pretty quickly. It's difficult to say because you saw a pretty tough football team play a very soft football team. And, uh, you know, and it's difficult to say how tough Utah is because they had token resistance on both sides of the ball for us. And, um, well, we're a very soft team, you know. We get a lot of good press. We like to read it a lot. Uh, we like to pat ourselves on the back, um, you know. And if we get any resistance, we fold. And what's amazing about this is um, uh, most of these guys were on the same team last year that was a tough team. Last year's team was a tough team for us. Um 
And uh, we got nearly the same guys, and now all of a sudden they're not tough. You know, they're fat, dumb, and happy and entitled. So. Are you guys liking some of the leadership that you may have had last year? Uh, I don't know if it's that. I think it's more individual than that. I think we've got a bunch of free agents running around there that think they're pretty special. And then, you know, as soon as something doesn't go their way, they want to pout. So I, I think I think it's more collectively soft. I think they – I really think that over the offseason, despite the fact we had incredibly hard work in the <clears> – and <throat> we did work hard in the offseason and we worked hard in camp. Um, then I think we get to the season, and I think um, some collection of sitting around the apartments all the time, talking about how great we're going to be, eventually it evolves to how easy it's going to be. And then as soon as we face resistance, I mean, you know, we, 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 we don't even fight it. You know. mm. <laughs> Do you agree? Well, um because I mean, there's, th- there's not loving the approach, but then there's also agreeing with some of what he had to say. So, first of all, uh, this is this is really gonna this is hard for the for the media to swallow who are so pro Mike Leach. Everyone loves them some Mike Leach, man. I they think, think Mike Leach. They think Mike Leach is just the best, the zany quote. And now, you know, the media that also loves, you know players rights and you know not treating you know guy these players are just employees and unpaid labor and oh, now they're not liking mike leach so much for dogging his employees like that who he's not even paying so this is a real this is a real existential issue here with the media around mike leach um but i'm okay like i actually am fine here's where i stand i'm fine with everything he said like everything he says fine i don't care it doesn't i'm not offended by that I don't, that doesn't bother me because there's a, th- I'm, I'm glad that we played the audio because the quotes written out and the headline of Mike Leach calls his team fat, stupid, and dumb is like yeah, perfect right. for just getting retweeted and just like getting the outrage machine. And that's like, you listen to the comments and I was, that was courtesy of Washington state athletics. It's on YouTube. You can go see it. He is matter of fact, sitting down at his scheduled post game press conference and he's describing it very calmly. This is his estimation, answering a question of what happened with his team. But here's the but here's the the flip side of that, and it's it's he's basically telling on himself, and 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 because part of the reason why I don't not it doesn't bother me about what he said is that he all he's doing is just I mean he's doing this to call his players out intentionally like right. this is the whole point is so that they hear this, and in hearing this they're challenged and this is this is part of coaching and this fine but the 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 problem not the problem but i mean what what's i think is a poor reflection on mike leach is not the comments it's just the fact that if that's all true then it's on you too right like why why don't you have these guys ready why did how did they lose their toughness how did they get complacent that's the coach's job so i think he's exposing himself for some criticism uh by say by by framing it like that, but ultimately, I think this is all about just getting the message over to his players. Do you think that Washington State has because this this is the extension of going back to last week? Like the the game against Utah does not stand alone in the minds of a Washington State fan, Mike Leach, or somebody who is following the Washington State program, because this thing goes all the way back to the insane UCLA game where Anthony Gordon throws nine touchdown passes and the team still loses. When this game at Utah was, you know, kind I think they they scored to go up maybe 17-13 uh, late second quarter. The rain is just like pelting down. Fox Sports 1 has pulled the cameramen and your camera women off of uh off of their posts. So all we're doing is seeing the in stadium feeds and these long shots from above the end zone. It's not, it doesn't look like a fun place to go play football. And, and Utah, even without Zach Moss, 
goes out there at the end of the second quarter. Like if Washington State's able to get a stop on third and long at the end of the second quarter, take that thing into halftime, I think it's totally different. But the defense breaks. They give up a third and long. Utah goes down, scores a touchdown right before halftime, comes out, and then pretty much holds holds serve throughout the entire second half. So this is two games in a row that have had critical points uh, where Washington State could have put a game away or could have assumed uh, more control of a game and let it just totally let it slip away. So in terms of the spe- the specifics with Mike Leach talking about his team and the way that they handle adversity, I thought, yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Worth worth also pointing the finger back at Mike Leach and back at this coaching staff and saying, well, you know, it's kind of kind of your job to get this team emotionally, mentally ready for uh for to overcome adversity but this uh this year's Washington State team off to a off to a poor performance yeah I'm uh just I'm as I'm sitting here trying to think back of like how Washington State team I feel like this isn't the first time that Mike Leach has has just totally chewed out his team oh no it was he called them zombies yeah he called them like dead body bags (laughs) <laughs> like this this team or previous team no this was maybe two three years ago yeah so i'm trying to figure out i'm just looking back at results and figure out how that how that played like did they respond and go on a really good run uh or or did they kind of lay down so i think that's that's the next question for our projection machines i do th- for, our, for our locks purposes I'm just oh. curious how this team's historically <laughs> going to respond to this. Okay, go go into the uh, go into the research tent and uh, and go back to uh, previous years. Oh yeah, man. I mean, like they lost to Eastern Washington and Boise State to start the 2016 season, and then they won eight straight uh, before losing to Colorado and Washington to close the year. Uh. That would be, I mean, in 2015, they lost to Portland State to start the season, barely beat Rutgers, beat Wyoming, but didn't cover, lost to Cal. Uh, so that was a pretty rough start. And then they beat Oregon, but that's a double overtime as a 16-point favorite. Then they beat Oregon State as a favorite. Oh, I'm sorry, 16-point underdog to Oregon. So yeah, maybe that's the year. Fifteen, they bounced back, went nine and four after a rough start. Anyways, it's in them. We'll see. This will be interesting. I do like uh, you pointing out at the very beginning that this this is a, another fun piece to the you know uh, Mike Leach because I jumped off the zany LOL Mike Leach a while ago. I can. Um, I'm off that train too. Yeah, I I can appreciate uh, an aggressive. Uh, offensive approach and I can uh, certainly look at his time as an assistant and the incredible staffs that he's worked for and and sort of the way that that those groups of coaches have helped shape offensive football but I think that when we uh, when when we got into like the conspiracy theory stuff <laughs> <laughs> when he when he's when he started getting get, starting to fringe on peddling peddling some conspiracy theories, I'm like, okay, yeah, freedom of speech or whatever, but I don't know if this, I don't know if all of a sudden this means we're lining him up with the uh, with the well. Here's the things you need to know about getting married. Number one, you gotta elope. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Yeah, I got to the point where two is like. You know, when whenever there's a Mike Leach interview that pops up on a podcast or on a, you know, on a radio somewhere or something, and everyone's like, "Oh, you gotta listen. This is the this is the best thing you listen to all day." It's like, is it, or am I just gonna listen to this guy meander for aimlessly for like 15 minutes and without having actually learned anything? Like, I get it, he's zany, but I like I'm more interested in like hearing. I mean, it's lazy. It's lazy muscle memory. I've been on, yeah, I've been on programs and they'll play a clip and then you come back and it's like, isn't Mike Leach what's great about college football? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And by the way, Mike Leach as like the head coach at Tennessee. I I just don't like everyone's like, whoa, John Curry. If you know Tennessee hadn't ousted John Curry, they were about to have Mike Leach. So you see what would have happened? Like, don't meddle. That you would have had. Look look at look at this look at this treasure trove of success and and good quotes you would have had. It's like, man, I don't know if you Tennessee fans were really going to be that stoked about the Mike Leach era when he's talking about raccoons after losing by 30 to Florida. Yeah. Like, you know, just let's just pump the brakes on that a little bit. <laughs> um, all right. Some, uh, some injury news. Notre Dame uh, defensive end Dalen Hayes is out for the year. Cornerback Sean Crawford out three to four weeks. Uh, bad news for a fighting Irish defense that I think has done a pretty good job of of answering the call for uh, a challenging early season schedule. So for, for Notre Dame moving forward, how are you feeling about the depth of that defensive group? I still feel okay about it. I mean, I think Sean Crawford, they got to get him back healthy. Uh, and, and I think that's the tougher one. Yeah, you got to survive through is is making sure that um, cuz he was he, he's pretty I think critical and that secondary has been key to their success early on I think in on defense. So uh, I think Sean Crawford is good. He's coming back. Uh, and hey, Dalen Hayes is a good player too, but he's um, as long as Julian Aquara is is um, on point, I think that that pass rush is going to be okay. And then, uh, yeah, back into that defense, still uh, still probably the, the strength there. Uh, Baylor coach Matt Rule got a contract extension through 2027. The Bears, if you look at it, they're sitting in first place in the Big 12 standings with that big conference win against Iowa State. Undefeated so far this season. Um, I, you have been a – you have been a – not supporter. We don't support anything, but you certainly have have had encouraging words to say about Baylor, where they're at under Matt Rule, and the the building that he has done there. This is does this come as any surprise to you? And I guess what's what's the temperature right now of the Matt Rule Baylor program? Uh, I think it's pretty hot. It's warming up. It's just, it's a slow burn with this. It's, it's a slow progression. It's I, I mean, I think. This is the this is the right kind of patience. This is the right kind of results because it is it's not some flash in the pan, fancy offense that no one knows how to defend. And so then, you know, once people figure it out, you're you're screwed. It's a recruiting the right way, recruiting athletes, developing athletes, getting those guys on the field slowly. And when they're on the field, they're ready, developing. Like I just, I, that's the way. Like the things I like about Matt Rule's program are the things sort of under the surface that you see bubble up three years in, and, and I think that's what we're starting to see this year. So, yeah, I, I think that 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 program is here to stay. Baylor, um, this year, moving forward. So they're four and zero so far to start the season. Uh, final win total over under. Seven and a half. I think their preseason was around six or six and a half. Uh, I think they'll go eight and four. I mean, I, I think I always predicted them to go eight and four. Nice. I think there's an eight and four team. So yeah, they'll, 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 and if that, if at least, I mean, hey, maybe they got nine and three in them. I wouldn't <laughs> be shocked. It'd be big. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We have arrived at the September superlatives. We're going to go with our team of the month. We're going to do our player of the month. And this is uh, no, this is all uh, your own individual sensibilities. We want to get a, get a chance to spotlight uh, some, of, some of the greatness that's going on across college football. Uh, so, Barton, who is your player of the month? Justin Fields. Mm. Is that your number one team in the country? That is my number one team in the country. Mm. We, talk, we talked about it on the reaction pod. And, hey, that's the beauty of measuring these teams based on what they've done this season is if, cause I got, you know, I tweeted, I retweeted someone who, you know, 24 seven who aggregated what I was talking about. And, you know, I got predictably some like Bama fans or I guess they're Bama fans and my Clemson fans, maybe in my mention saying, well, who have they played? Who have they played? So, well, I mean, you know, Indiana and, um, uh, Cincinnati and who's the other good, decent one they played. Um, oh, 
Indiana, Cincinnati, and there was one more conference game. Oh, Nebraska. Well, he's yeah. got them playing. Um, yeah, that's 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 the equivalent of Duke and Ole Miss and South Carolina, and so. But but the bottom line is, if because we're measuring it in real time, because we're not link like pulling information from last year, thing like they they're not guaranteed that spot until they lose. Like just because they're number one now doesn't mean that if they have a really bad showing against Illinois, that that they they can't get penalized for that. So um, that's you know there's there's plenty of opportunity as more teams play better team better teams to to jump. But I think that Justin Fields, because of the way he's operated early in this season, we knew I I, I had every expectation Jalen Hurts would would look good. We we knew that Tua Tagovailoa would look good. You know we we knew that. I mean I think Joe Burrow maybe you could put in this boat too as as someone that you know, really kind of has surprised us. But I think Justin Fields, especially given that he was, you know, kind of getting buried for transferring from Georgia. Oh, yeah. Couldn't beat out Jake Fromm. Um, Another classic example, too, of us uh, looking at Justin Fields in the spring game and being like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, like, Kyler Murray? I don't know. Yeah. The way that Kyler Murray looked in that spring game. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's eerily, eerily similar to the Kyler Murray reaction. Um, but I just, I'm, I'm kind of excited for him because he, you know, he got dubbed by, by me and people like me, as this next coming, and it's got to, you know, when, when you've been dubbed, when you've been, when those sort of expectations have been heaped on you, and you're a little slow getting it rolling, then there's a tendency to press, and he's just come out this year and has looked so sharp. And has worked it within the offense. Is not turning the football over. Is I just I'm just I'm kind of excited for him to get get this uh, have this sort of success and to to this degree. My uh, player of the month for September is Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard. The man has 938 rushing yards so far this season. He's been uh, an absolute monster for part of that uh, three-headed Spencer Sanders, Tylen Wallace, Chuba Hubbard combo for Oklahoma State's offense. And the thing that's so exciting to me is uh, is the fact that it feels like it is um, sort of an instant, uh, an instant cash-in on him slowly emerging throughout the course of last season where mm-hmm. – the the light kind of, you can see it starting to to click on and now all of a sudden he's able to come in hit the ground running like that kind of development that kind of upward trajectory that for just just four individual college football players especially uh, at a at a position like the running back I think that that's always so much fun it's so easy to root for and with him already at nine thirty eight at this point in the season hey I'm my body is ready for another two thousand yard running back yeah. <clears throat> Um, and he's just fun to watch. He's just, I mean, get, do yourself a favor and make sure you watch an Oklahoma state football game. I did not watch the ESPN plus broadcast of Kansas state, Oklahoma state over the weekend, but I would have, I would have liked to have, I kind of, I never, I never, I always try to catch Oklahoma state because they're just fun. That's Tylen Wallace, Spencer Sanders and Chuba Hubbard are just fun. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Uh, who is your team of the month? Uh, I'm going Wake. Let's go, Deeks. Five and zero. Yeah. I mean, like when as as all these jobs start coming open, and and you want to talk about like proven winner and like not flashing the pan and do it the right way, and I mean the. The Dino Babers of the world are starting to sort of come down to earth a little bit and left standing at the end of the day might just be Dave Clawson. We're gonna um, we're gonna play fast. We're gonna stress our opponents. <laughs> I mean it's it's they they've look, they've they've not yeah, they've beaten I think a good Utah State team. They've beat obviously a good North Carolina state team. On the road at Boston College is always a tough game. I, you know, I don't care what Boston College team you're playing. So, 
I just think this is par for the course, the next progression. As you look at their schedule, I mean, they I mean Oh no, they're already me, they're they're talking they're talking about nine and oh wake playing Clemson later this year. Yeah. Tell me they can't go eleven and one this year. No, they can't. No, tell me they can't do that. Yeah. yeah. And that that's I just think that's kind of fun, man. Like uh, Let's let's see it. Let's see eleven and one wake, and let's see Dave freaking Clawson on the top of the coaching board for your team. Your team. When you fire your coach, Dave Clawson will be at the top of the coaching board by by November because he's going to be nine and zero, getting ready to play Clemson with game day. Uh, I guess game day. Maybe I could have Clemson, but they might future, for that game. Future Auburn coach Dave Clawson. Future, (laughs) he was listed. uh, Offshore odds makers put out those Michigan and Florida State odds, and Dave Clawson was one of the top four names listed for Florida State. It'd be just such an odd deal seeing him at somewhere like like Florida State because he's just not a flashy guy, right? And that feels like such a flashy place, right? Um, And I don't know, like maybe he has a maybe he doesn't have a high as high a ceiling as you'd like. He sure does have a high floor. Um, you know, I think the, like the Notre Dames and Michigans of the world are probably his dream jobs. Uh, but man, it, it, it is going to be fascinating if some movement pops this year and there's some jobs coming open and, uh, and they're, they're, they are nine and oh, you know, how, how fans will perceive him as a potential candidate as for a blue blood job. So my team of the month are the Auburn Tigers because not just because I predicted this team would win 10 games and we're already uh, marching our way there through the first month of the season and not uh, not just because they are still undefeated and, and sort of one of the early surprises, you know, with you, like, I feel like we need to give Auburn its flowers now because the schedule is about to get uh, really, really nasty. Now, that being said, the Auburn team that had to just piece together a win, a comeback win against Oregon in week one, this is another reason to give them the team of the month. It has gotten so much better, and Bo Nix has gotten so much better. And so while they do have an absolutely brutal schedule left with, I think, four top ten opponents, they also are continuing to improve on an upward trajectory there. So, I mean... There is not a team in the country, by my by my estimation, that has a more impressive resume through the month of September than the Auburn Tigers. Auburn's a three-point favorite on the road at Florida right now. Uh, you think that's going to get bet up a little bit? Yes. I, I do, too. I'd jump on Auburn nice three. I would take it until seven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this team's good. This team's good. You're gonna look good, Chip. You're gonna be able to go back on Paul, Paul Feinbaum, hold your head up high, say I told you so. Look at this ten and two Auburn team. I think ten and two. I what? What would you predict Auburn's final record right now? Right now, nine and three. So you still think they're gonna lose three of Florida, LSU, Georgia, Alabama? I think that. Uh, I think that it is just as likely that there might be just another weirdo loss in there. I don't I don't think that I don't think that that team is bulletproof enough. But the only weirdo the only weirdo losses left that are possible Ole Miss. I mean, if you're going to at uh, Arkansas. Ole Miss and Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, I guess Arkansas showed that they could, they're capable, but and I guess Ole we'll Miss I, I mean, just, that I don't is know. I I'm starting to I'm starting to get a little 10 and 2 vibe to them. I think they I think they knock off I think they beat Florida this weekend. I think they knock off one of the big 3. I don't think that it it's going to be at LSU. That would be so tough because you're you've got like you're going on the road to Florida, then you're off, and then you're coming from the off week to go play at Arkansas, and then you follow that up with at LSU. Yeah, tough little turn. Maybe it's Georgia at home off a of bye week, <sighs> or maybe they just take them all down. Yeah, let's go, Gus. Let's go. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much.
Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you on NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies, if there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal.